Welcome to the Chicago Camps Podcast, brought to you in partnership with Simplecast. Publish your podcasts the easy way at simplecast.fm. Today, we're speaking with Dana Chisnell, a speaker mentor for Speaker Camp Boston on October 11th. Dana is a principal consultant at UsabilityWorks and does some pretty amazing things at Civic Design. She also wants you to vote because that's really important. Hey, Dana. Well, hi, Russ. How are you doing today? I am super awesome, fantastic. I'm excited to be on your program. That's a lot of adjectives, and we are so, so excited that you will be joining us for Speaker Camp in Boston. Um, One of the things that I like to ask everybody who is going to be one of our mentors is, how did you get started in public speaking? I was thrust into the limelight unwillingly. (laughs) Um, I, uh, I was a youngling manager um, in a tech writing sweatshop in San Jose. And um, I think it was SIGDOC was my first conference. And I was going to go to this conference and teach technologists about the tech writing process. And it was horrible. It was just horrible. I was awful. And um, uh, <laughs> it gives me nightmares thinking about it again. But um, people were nice to me in spite of that. So these were technologists that you were teaching. Did you get there by horse-drawn carriage? <laughs> well, this is an ACM <laughs> special interest group conference. And um, ACM stands for Association for Computing Machinery. (laughs) It is for computing machinery. It is not for people. So yes, they were technologists. (laughs) Darn it, Dana. I can't stop laughing. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I could have laughed at the time, but um, I was just happy to have it over. You know, all things considered and knowing and, and having had enough of my own flops, this really truly sounds miserable. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Fortunately, it was a long time ago. (laughs) Well, my next questions that I typically ask are, um, what was the worst and what was your first? And it sounds like we might have had both of them there. Is that that true? (laughs) Yeah, I think that was probably my worst. Uh, The first and worst were the same. But I have had pretty crappy presentation performances since then. There have been a few notable ones. That's really good, though. I mean... We've all had dogs. Yeah. Have you had any that you've you've left the stage and uh, put your head on the table and wept for the next half an hour? Not exactly that. <laughs> I may have I missed. Did. I may have missed a few nights of sleep and oh, did you say that? Oh, um, or I've I've listened to live, re- you know, the recordings of the session and gone, oh boy, you thought you were something there, didn't you, Mister? <laughs> Gosh, yes, I remember those. Um, so tell me what made this association of technology, machinery, computing things. The association of computing machinery, the ACM, SIGDOC. And their technologists. What made their technologist event so gosh darn awful for you? It was less about the event itself. Amazingly, there were the room was full. 
and it wasn't a big room, but the room was full. I like a full room, even if it's tiny. I have always liked that, uh, as opposed to a big room with a few people in it. But I, I had a good slide deck, but there was a lot of detail, and I hadn't rehearsed as much as I should have. And I thought that I could just get up there and do my thing. And um, uh, when I did my thing, it just didn't come out very well. It didn't come out nearly as well as it, it seemed like it was going to be in my head. <laughs> and um, I, to this day, I'm pretty sure that it was really about practice and rehearsing and um, getting my story down. That's the other thing is that there was really no story to that presentation. There was no kind of narrative arc. So it was just flat the whole time. You know, there's a there's a, there's a gentleman by the name of Jared Spool who has has said that um, you know this looks kind of easy, especially when you see these presenters who nail it. When you see people like him or uh, Jeffrey Zeldman or insert any of those UI and AEA speakers, that you look at them and they've got these fluid motions. They look like it's just coming off the top of their head, and it looks so darn easy. But, but I think you might turn and say to that that youngling Dana Chisnell, it ain't easy, huh, kid? <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and I know for a fact that Jared does a ton of work on his talks and uh, practices them, rehearses them, puts himself into situations where he gets to do them in front of audiences and hone them. But I assume you're going to let him tell you that, too. I probably could recite my own stories about him. And I, and I mean that um, sincerely, no joke about it. When we did the idea conference in Philadelphia, and mm -hmm. I believe that was 2010, I got to watch him mm. rehearse with Reed, his son, mm -hmm. the magician on stage the day before. And that was fascinating because they went through the entire presentation and picked up their drop marks. And there was no, there was no half-assing of it. I mean, they were there and doing it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and that, as somebody who was, was helping put on the conference, that was a big lesson to learn. I mean, I was sort of just getting my toe in the in the pool a little bit, and it was really good to see that because you see somebody who has a presence like him, and you see that they're going through it, that they're, like I said, there's no doing this halfway, right? You have to commit. Practice is huge. And, and if he's been doing it for, you know, the two or three years that he's been doing it and he can practice all of that, um, then by gosh, somebody like me who had been doing it for six months or so could certainly stand to do more practicing as well. I think we know that the man has a, a little bit of a resume of, of public speaking. <laughs> yes. Just a little bit. Um, so how did you bounce back? How did you recover from the disastrous sort of first time bomb? Well, I didn't, I didn't actually do many talks for a really long time after that. It was several years. And then I got very involved in a different uh, professional association uh, and um, partnered up with uh, a good friend, Susan Becker, and we created a little workshop together that um, demanded that we script everything out and uh, create timing and um, one of the things that she, one of the great gifts that Susan gave me about performing, about understanding that a presentation or a workshop is a performance, is that you, uh, you can affect a persona that is not necessarily who you are the rest of the time. 
and finding that persona was interesting and fun and uh, effective. <laughs> it helped me a lot get over, you know, um, a lot of the issues that I had with public speaking. You know, when I've been part of the Cranky Talk workshops that Dan Willis puts on, Karen McGrain said something very similar in that her onstage persona is a different Karen McGrain than you may see in the audience or walking down the street. And yep. um, that really helped. I, I just told Boone Sheridan that I draw a line before I walk on stage and that's when I know it's like putting on the different jacket or whatever yep. it is. The The trick that I've got now is that as I'm walking, I draw it in front of me so I can't chicken out. <laughs> so I'm, oh, there it is. Crap, I've already crossed it. Well, now I'm that guy. That's um, a good trick. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> it certainly makes it a lot easier um, because I just know there's something in me that says there's no turning back now and then you just go. Yep. Um, and it's a really interesting thing and I, th I think you're right. Um, and this, this kind of dovetails nicely into how did you get better after you found that persona and stuff? How did you get better? Well, the question of whether I'm actually better is still open to debate, but... Um, no, it's not. I've seen you present. I've watched <laughs> you get better over the last few years. Just well, like thank you. Thank you for saying that. Um, it's absolutely true. Uh, the talks that I feel really good about when I come off finishing them are talks where I feel like I know absolutely in my gut and in my heart and head what I'm talking about. Um, even if the performance is not identical from performance to performance. And I do do the same talks over and over again. So this idea that you have to change your talks up is bookish as far as I'm concerned. Hogwash. <laughs> yes, hogwash. <laughs> Welcome uh, to Old Timey Talk with Dana and Russ. <laughs> Piffle. <laughs> Poppycock. All right, let's go. <laughs> uh, it, <laughs> Uh, yeah, but more to the point, it's really about the content of the talk. There's, there's this talk that I've been working on for years now that I, I still really don't feel entirely one with. Um, and in certain audiences, I'm really intimidated about giving it. People keep asking me to do it and I keep doing it because I'm scared of it. And, um, but there are other situations where I, um, I, come to the talk from so much experience leading up to the talk that um, it feels really easy and comfortable to give. So um, I should stop giving the talk that I'm not comfortable with. No. <laughs> Gosh, no. I don't, I don't think you should. I mean, I've got this Jim Henson talk that I feel like seriously three weeks ago, I just figured out what it really is. I love that, actually, when, when you're in the middle of a talk that you've given a bunch of times, and for me, it might be six or eight or ten times, a light goes on in your head, and you're like, okay, now I know what this talk is about. Yeah, you know, I, I, I love Henson, and it's no big secret to anybody who knows me, and uh, we were putting on Prototype Camp, and I ended up being a closing keynote, and I looked at that presentation and realized holy crap, Jim Henson was a prototyper. And it just, it gave it the missing focus. I had to pull, kill some darlings from the presentation. Yeah. Um, and I kept one little darling that I asked permission to, to share and people love it. So it was okay, um, in my opinion. But, um, you know, it's one of those where you just, you, you stumble into it. And I, I've heard Jared say the same thing. Um, Jared makes a lot of cameos in as 
somebody who I've just watched a lot and, and learned from in these podcasts. It's something that he'll say it too, that he'll have these presentations that he'll work on them over the course of a year and he'll it'll take him six, eight, ten, twelve times to figure out what yeah. the presentation's gonna be when it grows out. Yeah. And I think that's kind of interesting and it goes back to what you just said was don't feel like you have to write a new talk for every conference. Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah, because even if there are people in the audience who've seen the talk before, they're going to take different things away from it. Yes. And they're kind of, in a way, they're having the same experience you are of, of sort of discovering what that conference is or what that uh, talk is about. I mean, you can see a theatrical performance multiple times, right? I mean, you've probably seen plays mm -hmm. multiple times and or read books multiple times and... You come because you're in a different place mentally or emotionally or in terms of maturity or whatever. Um, you get different things from it. So people don't mind seeing the same talk if you know if you love giving that talk. Well, gosh, and and people don't go to the same conferences, which is the other really nice thing. That's true, except for a very few people who seem to have nothing else to do. <laughs> I, I listen, um, how you choose to talk about Jared in this podcast <laughs> is your business. <laughs> so why is it then if you've had sort of these challenges and, you know, even sometimes you still feel uncomfortable giving that presentation, why are you still doing public speaking today? I wonder this myself sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, the reason that I do it, like, it's so Friday I was, I gave a workshop. Uh, with my research and business partner, Whitney Quisenberry. And it just went so spectacularly well. And some of that workshop involved each of us doing public speaking. I was completely energized and everybody was ecstatically happy at the end of the day. Not because of me, but because of the whole package. And it, it all sort of fit together in a way that made everybody really happy. So uh, I guess I'm kind of a junkie for that, that <laughs> little high that you get when people come up to you afterward and say, wow, okay, I never thought of that before. Can we talk about this? You know, there's that. And, and, and that actually is something really that, that I've been focusing a lot on that um, there's zero ego when I say this, but when you learn something, I feel like there's a bit of an obligation to teach it. Mm -hmm. And to give somebody that spark of an idea or that thing that you did and tried and failed or succeeded at and see what they can do with it. Yeah. How they can run with it, how it can impact them. Uh, Jared, again, has, has said something to me that, that really made an impact, which is even if you're telling somebody in the audience something they already know, yeah. you can be giving them validation. Right. Which exactly. can mean all of, of the, you know, can mean everything in the world to them. I believe in a, in a culture of generosity, and I think that UX is really full of that. And We're full of something. <laughs> 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 well, I, at its base, a lot of us who work in UX feel a kind of social responsibility, and I, that's sort of where I'm coming from. So to your point about teaching, yes, um, that probably is the, the basic motivation for me to continue to do this. I completely get it. Um, one one last question for you here, and that is, why do you hope others will start doing more presenting at conferences? Oh my God, so I can get the hell off the stage and somebody else can take over. <laughs> um, I, I am really interested in uh, hearing from uh, new 
voices and people who have uh, who are coming at a topic from a, a new angle even even if what they're talking about is a thought experiment that is fun and exciting for me and it's i go to a lot of conferences i hear a lot of the same people and they're wonderful and what they have to say is important but um mixing it up a bit uh would help the practice would help the profession uh a lot um also i'm not going to do this forever so seeing the next generation come up and become expert and become confident and uh embrace those teaching moments is a really lovely thing it really is i'm always excited because there is so much benefit from the public speaking there's definitely sharing what you have but there's also watching that sort of i hate to say matur- maturation or, or you know bec- there there is some of that growth that happens and, and you know it feels a little i guess one-sided because certainly there are those introverts and those folks who are not into it and i completely understand that that this isn't for everybody but there is something about it when you see somebody who locks into it and they get that sort of high that you're talking about and they understand it and they seek opportunities to to not only learn something new but then you know share it out again that's the that's other, really cool yeah the other thing for me about uh, hoping that other people will present at conferences is this is Presenting at conferences is a relatively safe and supportive place where you can try out ideas, you can get better at it. Um people will give you feedback if you ask for it in the right way. And when you do it in public and in at conferences, it just makes doing it at work so much easier, I think. No, I I agree with you wholeheartedly. It's uh, a 1000 times easier to stand up in a conference room or sit behind the safety of a conference call and have to present something and feel and sound confident. Um kind of it at the snap of a finger because yeah. you've figured some of that on stage stuff out. Yeah. It yeah. it's a heck of a lot less frightening <laughs> in front of other folks when you, you know, that you work with when you've you've done it in front of a whole bunch of other strangers who intimidate the heck out of you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly right. Excellent. Well, hey, thank you so much for for joining us today, but thank you also for being a mentor at Speaker Camp Boston on October 11th. We are so excited you'll be with us. Well, I am really looking forward to it, and it's always fun hanging out to with you talking shop. Excellent. Thanks again, Dana. Have a great day. Thank you. You too, Russ. Thanks for listening to the Chicago Camps podcast, brought to you in partnership with Simplecast. Publish your podcasts the easy way at simplecast.fm and learn more about Speaker Camp and other Chicago Camps events on our website at chicagocamps.org.